Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast. This is the recording from our live show we did up in Michigan at Buckshot's Bar and Grill in their little private room there. We had about 50 people in there uh, listening to the show. As uh, questions came in, we kind of brought up uh, different topics and, and talked about them and um, it was a good time. I can't wait to do more of these with everybody if you didn't get a chance to come up uh, to, to Michigan. Um, hopefully it will be in your area at some point in time. So you can come join join us uh, live on, um, on one of these shows. Lots of good information in this one as well. Um, lots of good questions came from uh, from the audience as well as YouTube on this one. A lot of some, some deep stuff about uh, getting kids into the outdoors and, and uh, things like that as well as a whole bunch of tactical stuff as usual. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I got to thank my partners. The first one being Stealth Outdoors. Lou uh, and the the team there at Stealth Outdoors probably have hands down the the best customer service in the industry. Um, if you call Stealth Outdoors, guess who's going to pick up? Uncle Lou. He's going to take care of you. Um, with that all being said, they clearly have the best silencing product on the market. Um, and my favorite product from them is the buckle silencers. Um, but it is just one step in silencing your gear. You have to get the whole package. Make sure you um, purchase all the, the Stealth Outdoor products they have to, to put on your, your tree stand. It will save you eventually if you're a deer hunter. Um, we've all made noises that we didn't want to make in the, in the, the uh, when we're chasing after big whitetails. And Stealth Strips helps prevent that from happening. Um, Lou's also doing some giveaways here and there. I think right now he is giving away um, some some beast sticks. So make sure you go over to his um, website, stealthoutdoors.com, and get you some stealth strips. Also, I want to thank Hunting Beast Gear, makers of the best stand and sticks for mobile hunters on the market. Um, and right now they got a new product called the Three Finger Hooker that I've helped produce a commercial for. Um, it's a cool product where you can um, just use it to pull up your tree stand, your bow, um, whatever else you drop on the ground without having to make a couple trips up and down a tree. Um, it's a good product and obviously the best mobile stand on the market and mobile sticks. Pick you up some Beast Minis. We're giving away a set of Beast Minis on the YouTube version of this podcast so if you haven't yet go over to that and subscribe and uh, visit huntingbeastgear.com and get you some beast gear okay and finally exodus outdoor gear um i have something really cool to share with you from uh, my friends over at exodus I just got word they're kicking off their annual hashtag Velvet Fest campaign. If you're not familiar with Velvet Fest, it's the official start to deer season. We're here, folks. Deer season is among us. And Exodus helps get the ball rolling for everyone's summer scouting. I know when hashtag Velvet Fest hits, it means it's time to get my cameras ready and deployed for the season. I know I'm working hard to get all mine out. I've gotten a handful of them out, and i got two handfuls more to, to put out. So uh, that's going to happen for me over the next couple of weeks. From July 15th to August 19th, they'll have um, some awesome prizes for people who use the hashtag VelvetFest. So it's, it's the pound sign or hashtag V-E-L-V-E-T 
F-E-S-T, on social media showing their whitetail adventures. Also, if you're in the market for a trail camera, hashtag VelvetFest will be the perfect opportunity to get ready for this season. Exodus will be sending out exclusive savings through their email newsletter throughout the campaign. But to get things started, save 20% on any multiple Exodus render or any render bundles bundles for the first 100 orders. So it's just limited to 100 orders, so get it, get it fast. Use the code, code VELVETFEST to lock in these awesome summer savings. I'm going to have the this uh, code in the description below the podcast. Um, so check that out. Make sure you, you there's, there's some um, um, uppercase letters in here and whatnot. So make sure you check that out before you use the, the code. Every single camera order comes with a random prize card. So I've been told it can include some huge deals, uh, even including the all-new Exodus MMT tailored arrows which I am shooting this year, and I, I love them. They, they're good arrows. Over the last seven years, Exodus has con- consistently shown they build quality gear that flat-out works, and of course, the best trail camera warranty, period, in the industry. Every single, every single camera is backed by a five-year warranty and even comes with theft and damage protection. Can you believe that? Theft and damage protection on a freaking trail camera. Yes, five years, literally half a decade, you'll be covered by the Exodus five-year warranty. But more than likely, you won't need to need to use it uh, because their cameras are already pretty much bulletproof. Um, they also launched the the MMT arrows this summer. The tailored arrow built to your specifications using nothing but the highest grade components. Period. So head to their website. And use the, the 3D Builder and experience the best shooting hunting arrow available. Uh, yeah, I I got mine in, shot them through paper. Uh, they tuned real easily. Uh, walked back, tuned them. Everything was good. So um, I would recommend them. Be sure to take part in the hashtag Velvet Fest celebration. Uh, be sure to tag, uh, tag ha- uh, Exodus on your social media because uh, we'll want to see what you guys are up to this summer. So participate in that, guys. Um, thanks for listening to uh, my, my partner reads here. Um, I really appreciate it. Thanks for all the support on the podcast, guys. It's crazy how, how fast it's growing. I'm going to do way more stuff on this uh, audio bo- uh, version of the podcast. Uh, be looking for more content on this channel. Join us on uh, most uh, mostly Thursday nights uh, on, on YouTube for the live version of the show. Get involved. Um, you can comment there. You can call in and ask questions. It's a good time. All right, let's get into the episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. Um, it's going to be a hard to look at this camera and uh, everybody out here because we're on a Live show at uh, the uh, Buckshot Bar and Grill in the in the private room here. So, um, like I said last week, we put some tickets out and everybody came through and we got a sold out crowd here. I think we probably looks like we may have more people than uh, we sold tickets to. So, pretty cool, pretty cool. Okay, so housekeeping items I got to go through with everybody on YouTube here. Um, comment as usual uh, if you got any questions for me or Dan, and then. Um, we got an audience in front of us here too, as you guys can see on the screen, probably pull some questions from there. Uh, guys, I got a, uh, a mic. It's just so everybody on YouTube could hear you. There's only 105 people listening right now. So, um, don't be shy though. We're all hunters. We're all trying to learn and, 
make each other better. Better. So if you got a question, I'm sure other people have the same questions. Make sure you uh, get on the mic and 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 ask it here. Um, we are still trying to inch our way to the 5,000 subscriber club on YouTube. Uh, and once we hit that, we'll get uh, the the V stick sent to the winner that we'll pull on the show when that happens. Um, so just subscribe to win. That's all you have to do. Um, thanks everybody on YouTube here to, for, for getting on. We got a lot of people, a lot of comments. I saw comments at like seven 30. So people have been waiting around for us. Um, anyway, anything else we need covered on this, uh, live portion? Uh, no, uh-uh. I don't think so either. Um, if you, we can call in this, this show too. I'll put it closer to the Q and a, um, but, um, if you do call in, make sure you got good service and not doing anything inappropriate on camera because we'll be able to see you on camera. Um, all right, Dan, how's it going? Going good. Good. I haven't really got to talk to you since you got here. No, it's been crazy. I've been running around talking to everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. Fun. Made a lot of nice, uh, people, cool people from Michigan here. Yeah. What Told is it? Cool hunting stories. I was, I was talking to some guys in the back about, uh, about Michigan, like, man, there's a deep, deep tradition around here for hunting, like, like no other place in the U.S. Probably it seems look, like. Just look at the Buckshots Bar here. Yeah, I mean, we got a yeah. bed of deer behind us, and yeah, that's true. I mean, everything here seems to be oriented around hunting. It's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. There's not very many places like this around anymore. No, I mean, it's a. I came in. I saw a buck on the wall over the bar. It looked like it was a 200 incher. I just got a glimpse of it. I haven't been back in to check it out. I was yeah. trying to make my way that way, but. The ram over there, yeah. is a stone sheep or, yep, man, that thing's huge. Goat over there, mountain goat, yeah. bunch of elk. I uh, well, when we got here, we got our bows and our tree stands and stuff over here on the table, and I was like, I don't know if I should just carry this to the restaurant because it was like five o'clock, everybody was eating, you know. But I think they're used to it around here, so what it was a, a non-issue. I I uh, hauled her right through here. So um, if you guys are ever in, in this area, go check out Buckshot's Bar and Grill. It seems like a Pretty cool joint. The food here was good. So, um, anyway, sounds like uh, Rick the Pimp's really uh, selling them hookers. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I had a, a yellow suit for him with a you know feather hat all laid out and stuff. He wouldn't wear it. He just kept yelling at me. I'm not wearing it. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Sorry, Rick. <laughs> You remember the end of the video where he said, do I get a hooker? Yeah. There's one on the table for you right there. You can there you go, Rick. You you guys sold out, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. It actually was surprising. They sold out almost immediately. Yeah. So, um, got more in the works. I'm getting a lot of messages about it. Did I see, was the, was the stand sold out for a minute? Yeah. I think the stand sold out. Again. Okay. There you go. You guys sold out, right, Rick? Oh, yeah. Rick runs the warehouse, so he'd know better than I do, actually. <laughs> that's funny <laughs> well uh guys in the in the comments here uh make sure you start leaving your um uh leaving your questions we're we're kind of just going to go with the flow in this podcast we don't really have a topic we're going to pick some questions and i'm sure like it's, it'll go by in an hour and a half will go by in a blink of an eye like it always does on these things um so if you got like a question you're wanting to ask dan or me in the crowd just raise your hand and tim has a mic um and then also i'm starting to get questions here on the um 
on the YouTube live. Someone asked if we are hunting in Michigan this year. Yes. Yeah, we are. I think I'm going to um, plan something for uh, Northern Lower, and I actually want to do something in the UP as well. Yeah. So uh, I think you can expect to see some hunts out of me and Josh in uh, Michigan and maybe uh, maybe Rick and Tim. We'll see who else wants to come. And we'll probably um, take some applications and see if somebody from the public wants to go along. But uh, probably somebody from outside of Michigan, bring somebody new in, so they're coming into a new terrain. Um, but we might do some other states too. Yeah. We're just trying to decide on what states to go to. We didn't draw Iowa this year, which was a surprise. Uh, we both had five points, so we thought we were going to draw, and we didn't. So that's going to leave it open for some other places we can go. Yeah. So we just got to decide where to go. Yeah. I'm actually excited to come up here and hunt in Michigan. Like in Indiana, we, we don't see the deer numbers like you guys have here, especially in southern Indiana where we got a lot of hill country. You just can't see very far. Um, it seemed like whenever you came and hunted on the public land challenge, you saw a lot of deer every hunt. Oh, it was a riot. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. And uh, I was getting plenty of uh, sign of big bucks and seeing some two-year-olds, so I don't think it would be too hard to get on one. I mean, it's not as bad as what people perceive it. Yeah. You certainly see a lot of deer, a lot of young deer. So, you are you know, it's not like uh, back home where you see one deer in a day or something. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I – uh, we may see one deer in a week, but it'll be, you know, there's a good chance it's going to be a good one. Um, yeah. I, I, I know it's, it's, it's sometimes fun to see 15, 20 deer in a sit. I'm looking forward to it. All right. There was a question on here that I think we could probably talk about for a while. And it's, it's a pretty hot topic. Usually someone asked why Dan prefers a tree stand over a saddle. You want to talk about that for a while? Oh. <laughs> You're gonna get some infighting out of this one, right? This this will be some good clips. Well, uh, I don't like leaning out from a tree on an angle. I think deer spot you when you're away from the tree. I put my back against the tree so that I blend into it. I don't think being behind a tree is a benefit in camouflage. I think you blend in from either side, and I think the tree blocks your shooting uh, in front of you. Um, I hunt a lot of bushy trees and clearing out limbs around the sides to go around the sides ain't working for me. I get into um, real close to bedding areas and cutting limbs doesn't work. Um, and uh, the stand goes up real quiet and efficiently for me. Yeah. I, li I like the stand personally. Yeah. I, I've hunted outside a lot and I just, um, the reason I prefer a stand typically is I don't think you can get in as many trees as what some people make it out to be. Right. There's a lot of trees I couldn't get a saddle yeah. into that I hunt out of. Um, but that's just me. Everybody, it's a tool, like a tree stands a tool. And if it works for you, then great. Um, but anyway, that's just our opinion. So, uh, all right. Here's a good question. Curious to hear what Dan thinks his weakness is. My weakness <laughs> is probably um, the hunting beast and helping others. Because uh, yeah. I think if I took that time and put it towards myself in hunting, I think I'd be killing a lot bigger bucks. I think I put uh, uh, the majority of my free time into others. And I think that that hurts my hunting. Yeah. Yeah, you seem like you are always out and about doing something for whatever. 
hunting beasts. Yeah, it doesn't even have to be like you're making products in a yeah. shop or um, scouting for somebody else. Or yeah. And then, like a lot of people just assume like this is what you do, but it's not. Like you you work your yeah. forty hours a week yeah, too. I'm working a forty hour week on top of that. Yeah. Yeah. I got like three full time jobs. You add right. them all together. <laughs> right. <laughs> Sleeps for weak minded people that yep. need that sort of thing. Rescuing coons too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I just got a little possum the other day. You did you? Yeah, it was real little. But I thought, oh, this kind of, you know, I got a call. It was in somebody's house, so I went and got it. And I thought, oh, this is cool. I'm gonna get a nice photo of that on my on my shoulder, and I put it up there and almost took my ear off. That oh, little geez. thing, just teeth on that thing. On a possum? No photo. <laughs> <laughs> was was that the one Jacob had on? His, I think it was Jacob there. No. Uh -huh. Oh, he must have been a different possum. <laughs> I've seen people with pictures of them. That thing was not friendly enough. It was not photographic. Really? Not at all. Wasn't that cute, huh? It wasn't as nice as the coons. Yeah. Uh, they tell me they eat ticks, though, so not to mess with them. Possums. They also eat ears. Don't put them okay. on Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Here's another topic we can talk about for a little while. The deer bed in corn. Cornfields. Where do deer hang out in cornfields? Uh, yes, but does that sound good? Yeah. So, so the but is that uh, I don't see a lot of mature bucks in corn, and not like people say they do. Um, that's not to say they don't in some scenarios, like heavy pressure scenarios, where that's the only place there's no human pressure. Then they've been to corn. But if you think about it, the way a, a mature buck beds, he's trying to uh, cover his. Uh, you know what's upwind of them he's trying to see downwind and um, a coyote or a predator could run right up a corn roll adjacent to him right to him it just doesn't cover all their bases so when i do see them come out of corn which i do quite a bit it's usually they're bedding along an opening in the corn keep talking or they're bedding uh along a ditch in the corn or an island of trees in the corn but not necessarily just out in a flat, open cornfield. There's usually some terrain feature within that corn that they're bedding in. Yeah. I, and then that's mature bucks. I've seen does come out of there all over the place. Right, right. A lot of times, like in Indiana, at least we'll have a lot of fence rows in between our corn. I mean, that's some of the best bedding in, in the yep. whole farms will be on those fence rows and um that might have even been a better question for you because uh i've been on your property that you, yeah that you, the lease you have yeah and it's about what a thousand acres yeah and what is there seven trees i think it's <laughs> yeah it's just a big field uh um, it's like all corn yeah uh yeah it is and and it's uh it can be tough when it's all corn like they got a lot of places they can be at um and whenever, whenever they pick it it can be really good then but but then you see mostly that they're on the edge of the river on defense lines and stuff right right that's exactly right if there's like a waterway that's in the middle of the corner or something they'll like to they'll bet against there um something else that i like to do uh with with corn is um like as a when the farmer a lot, a lot of times like dan said it's a big cornfield that i can hunt and they'll pick half of it and stop for a week i don't know if that's typical practice for a farmer but like if they'll that when they stop that corn will create an edge and man like if you can catch that deer in the rut or something they'll really like to cruise those cornfield edges uh, i killed a like a 155 a few few years back sitting on a, a crop field that had been cut a couple of days 
prior to me shooting this deer and uh he was just coming down that edge scent checking that cornfield for does um something else that i've had good luck in with is whenever something changes on that farm like whenever they get rid of a cornfield i've seen some really big deer get curious like the next morning or something and start kind of trying to figure out what the heck's going on now and a lot of times they'll move shortly after if not right after a cornfield's big problem is a lot of times cornfields farmers will work into the night or something and then then, then you're the good time's kind of over um but a lot of people get uh, frustrated when a combine comes into the field but it's not always a bad thing yeah agree yeah all right let's see here does anybody have a question out in the the audience here at all speak up if you do because we may miss your hand uh so um, someone asked, how long does it take you to put your um, stand up whenever you're close to a buck bed? That's a good question. Uh, and I think it varies. Um, it can be really slow and methodical or it can be fast. I mean, if I'm real close, it's real quiet. I might be waiting for wind gusts before I, I do things, especially if there's a little bit of opening in between me and the, and the buck. Um, if it's pretty solid and I think I can get away with it. It might go up pretty quick, just quiet. You know, like if there's no way you can see me, I can put it up pretty quick, quiet. Um, one thing I like to do is I like to um, go up the back side of the tree and put the sticks on in front of me and climb the tree and kind of watch my height because a lot of times I'm pretty close so that I can see where I'm getting too high. Because if you go up the, with your back to them, you yeah. turn around and they're sitting there looking at you, right? Yeah. So then uh, I put the tree stand around it in front of me and put it on the tree and then i try to just get the sticks up to the you know over the stand a little bit so i can step around real easy and i just slide around the tree to the front real slow um yeah you know it's probably not as slow as what some people think but it's slow and methodical and quiet as possible yeah and that's what I, i'm assuming who, who, whoever asked that you're probably talking like you want to know how fast we do it. And it's like, it's not about how fast you can do it. It's really about how slow and, and undetected you can do it. So right. that's, that's like a, a lot of guys want to use those, um, those rope mod things for staters. Yeah. I use and, those Dan. And, uh, I don't, I don't like it <laughs> <laughs> because you know, it adds movement and that, you know, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? Where I can just yep. take those sticks and real slowly go up and I'm just used to that. And yeah. it's solid. There's no movement. There's no swinging around yeah. or anything. Yeah, and, I get uh, that for sure. I think I think if you're going to use them, I like to use those cable ones that are maybe fixed. on the bottom one. I could see that, yeah. but when you start putting them, you know, one stick in it or something, they're going yeah. way up with a with yeah. Cents. You got to be. I usually go up a couple times, but you got to remember, you put the bottom stick on for ground level. You put the second stick on for ground level, so I climb up to the third one, and it's usually three sticks or four. So I might go down once, maybe twice. What's your average height off the ground? Uh, I like to be at 18 feet, but that's probably not my average. That's the bottom of the point one? Correct. But that's probably not my average because uh, most of the stuff I'm hunting is real low and uh, brushy. It's edge. So um, I'm probably averaging about 15, 16 feet. I mean, sometimes I'm 6 feet or 10 feet up. And sometimes I'm 25 because the way cover works on. Depending on grade. Yeah. Grade. I don't like getting over 20, 25 feet because then you start getting angles where you start wounding deer. You don't get both lungs good. 
you know, I think your, your kill zone gets smaller, you get higher. Too. Correct. I mean, you get up to, to, to like, like when I was younger, it was like a procedure of, of learning lessons. And um, at first you start getting busted. So you think I got to get higher, you know, and they won't bust me and they don't bust you. But then you start wounding everything because you're getting one lungs and then you come back down to reality. And what you end up learning in the end is that um, about 18, 20 feet up and about 18, 20 feet out from your stand is probably the perfect shot. But that's in a perfect world and you kind of got to deal with what you get. And, uh, you, you know, I, I just hate those conversations about uh, how high should I hunt or how high do you hunt? It, it's, the tree determines that. The, the cover determines that. You don't get to determine that. You get the place to stand. So you got to look at the setup and the situation and uh, deal you know, with what you've got to deal with. But if it's ideal and I could take my pick, 18 feet with an 18 foot shot or a 20 foot shot or 20 yard, I mean, shot. Yeah, for sure. Cover, you touched on cover too. A lot of times we have silver mini, especially down here. You get three, four, five trunks coming out. Mm -hmm. You get in the center of that, they're not doing skyline. No right. matter what time of year. And you can get up there at 16 feet, you're in good shape. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, Shane Simpson's on here. I don't know if you guys know him. He has a really good YouTube channel. Um, he was saying he wants to see, um, he likes seeing Dan's hunts, his personal hunts, and he said, keep doing more of them. Appreciate that, Shane. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah, me and Dan talk about like what we're going to film or videos and this quite a bit. And that's one thing that I think I want to do a better job of this year, especially I have more time this year is like try to do a weekly update of what's going on hunting and kind of a, a, a vlog of the week, I guess, which kind of what you, you did you do that last year? Yeah. Pretty. And, and I, I really like that style of it because I think, uh, I think uh, unintentionally uh, a lot of YouTubers mislead um, their followers into thinking that hunting is easy. I mean, when yeah. every video you watched, you're having a confrontation with a bocker or killing one or, or yeah. It gets a little out of touch, so I kind of like to, to to touch on what goes on on a whole week of hunting, the decisions that are made, and the outcome. Uh, yeah, and, and uh, that's gone over really well for me. And when I started making videos, I started making them like I'd like to see them. And started making them where I just put something cool in, or like you're going to chase a raccoon down and catch it. Yeah, <laughs> or, and then the next one you're killing a buck, and, and it was kind of confusing for people. And I had to learn that uh, there's there's certain things people want out of the videos, and for me, my gift is teaching. It's certainly not videography, so <laughs> so I use I use that to, to to help people become better hunters, and I think to do that, you got to show them the full picture, not just um, not just the uh, window of the kill or yeah or the part that you look great. You got to show them everything, whether yeah. it's wounding a deer or making a mistake. Because if you don't show any mistakes, a guy, especially a young guy, he goes out there and he makes a mistake or he wounds a deer on a shot he shouldn't have took. And he feels like crap, and he thinks he's the only kid in the world that did that. He gives up hunting, or he uh, just really crawls in a hole. And really seeing that somebody like me does that too, I think is good. And I think everybody makes those mistakes. It's just some people won't show them to you, you know. Yeah, for sure. Oh, I can remember being like a young hunter watching, you know, whatever on the outdoor channel. You, you get frustrated during deer season, you know, just seeing everybody else shoot one. And reality, you know, they're hunting ranches or something, but. Um, Whereas young guys can want it too bad, you know. Yeah. They, they they push the envelope and they don't mean to, but I mean it's uh it's an emotional ride. You got to yeah. take that shot at the right time, and if they make they slip up a little, and then you got these people online that eat them alive for 
wounding a couple deer or something when crap happens it just yeah. does and you just have to you know try your best not to let that happen and just yeah. live with it yep for sure okay another question if you had to choose one terrain to hunt for the rest of your life what would it be and why outside <laughs> yeah. I don't know if one, you had that one. One terrain? Oh, geez, that's hard. Uh, you, you know, uh, I love them all, and I love them all for specific reasons. You know, in an ideal world, I'd, I'd hunt uh, swamps and, and marshes in early season uh, when you can get within that window real close to a buck that has a short movement. Yeah. And I'd hunt uh, um, farm country in, in uh late season when they congregate on food sources and uh i'd hunt hill country and rut um when they they move in that one third real well and yeah. they cruise at that one elevation where it's kind of a tight window and it's easy to get on them yeah um but if i had to do it all season it'd be tough to pick one of those that's true i'd probably if i had to like pick one in southern indiana at least i would just pick the huger national in the hills i mean Hill country just typically so big, and you can kind of buzz around on in, in Indiana, at least in southern Indiana, and you know you can find a whole bunch of big bucks down there. You're gonna travel and put a lot of cameras out and this and that, but I like the hill country. It's it seems to be a little bit more challenging, but at the same time, it seems to produce um, a lot of big deer. A lot of people don't want to uh, mess with the hills because they are a lot of work, especially to kill one. It's it's really a lot of work then, um, but I'd probably pick hill country. If you twisted my arm hard enough and made me give an answer, I'd probably say swamps and marshes, that, that terrain. But that's probably the answer would be expected. I love I love hunting them in the water. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, wide outdoors. He must have a YouTube channel too. Um, best fat chick moment, Dan. This fat chick moment. Um, the one that sticks out in my mind the most is the kill. It was at uh, uh, Dave's farm, and he had seen some bucks come out of uh, a couple days in a row, come through uh, a bean plot. They're bedding on the edge of it, and uh, there was hardly anything for trees. And there's this little tree that was uh, three or four inches in diameter, and it was dead, but it had a vine on it that uh, was a little bit of green on it. Yeah. And uh, he was like, you got to try it because they're coming through there every day. And uh, it was uh, opening week. It might have been like the second or third day of the season. Uh, I went in there with the faith on what he had seen and set up in that tree. Um, and it was so dead and small that I got up about uh, 10 feet, I want to say. And this tree is this big around and there's no leaves or branches on it and i'm trying to blend in and there's no trees around me i'm in open terrain but i had that little vine i had that little vine so, <laughs> um the deer came out and i turned sideways and i stood there and uh, they came across the field and one of the back one was a shooter for sure but barely probably like you know um probably net in the 130s yeah but it was opening weekend and uh it got too dark to film the kill and they got underneath it. I could film them when they were across the field. They came slow and I ended up just letting them go. But it was really cool because they walked within three or four feet of the tree 
and yeah. uh, never knew I was there and I was standing right next to him. I mean, literally a few feet away in a tree this big around. Yeah. With no cover. That's crazy. So that was probably my best moment with uh, a fat chick tree. Yeah. Hmm. There's probably people that don't even know what a fat chick tree is. Yeah, it's like a, a spot you wouldn't want to see your buddies. Look at my YouTube page. Yeah. For the fat chick trees. Yeah. Yeah. The, the summarizer is a spot that you wouldn't want your buddies to see you in. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Oh, um, all right. Here's here's one that I don't really get this this uh, this method of scent control. But uh, what's your opinion on smoke as a cover scent? That's yeah. something gets brought up a lot on like forums and stuff. I see people talking about doing that to their, their I, clothes. I take it with a grain of salt because uh, I've never tried it. Yeah. So my opinion can be called biased. But I do know how a deer nose works, and they got an armor nasal organ. And what an armor nasal organ does is it separates odors. They don't smell like a human. So they smell multiple things at once. So we're like, we would smell a cake. They smell the vanilla and the frosting, the sugar, the, the flour, the, every piece of it. So I believe that they would smell smoke, and they would smell you. They'd smell you both. And uh, I don't think it would work personally. Yeah. I'm the same way. I just don't under, I don't understand. Mm-hmm. I don't understand how it would work just because of the reasons you said. And, um, and not only that, but it, it would bother me. Yeah. Um, I like being clean when I hunt and, and free of orders, not for the deer, but so that I can smell and feel natural and stuff. And I think that smell smoke would drive me nuts. It would, it would just drive me nuts. Are you being serious? I am being serious. <laughs> it's the only time I like being clean. Must be. Sorry. Dan, you served twice this week. Well, technically it was eight days ago, so once. Or <laughs> Wednesday, whether it needs it or not. Right. All right. Um, there was one good one in here from Zek Outdoors. Zek's the one that called the, the younger boy that called in while we were talking to Aaron. Oh, okay. Um, he says, how old were you when you got your first big buck? Also, how big was your first few deer? How old were you? I was nine, I think. It was a nice one. It was like a probably 120 inch eight pointer. I got pretty lucky. Is um, your first deer or your first big deer? That was my first deer. Yeah, I guess probably my first big deer. If, if I mean back then, it felt pretty big. So, um, yeah, 20 would be a pretty good first deer. Yeah, it was probably that big, wasn't it? It was all busted up. My dad's in the audience, so I was in a. I was in a climber and 
like looking back now, like the things that I did even in my generation as a nine-year-old, like I got some cousins, little cousins that are in that age group. And I can't even imagine them like sitting by themselves with a gun. I wasn't by myself, but I was, you were, weren't in the same tree with me, were you? No, I was probably 30 hours later. Yeah. But we were both in our own climbers. I got it for Christmas. And, uh, but I was like, I was the same size as I am now when I was nine. Like I hadn't, I hadn't gotten much bigger since then. Uh, but yeah, it was a, it was a nice eight pointer, but to be honest with you, like that just happened to be the one that walked by. Like I had a shot, whatever would have walked by, you know, I just got lucky. We had a pretty good spot when I was little, but we only had it for a couple of years when I was like a, you know, starting off there. And we, uh, they sold the place shortly after I started hunting. Um, but the next year I sat in the same tree. Dad was not, um, not by me then he was, uh, I couldn't see him or anything the the next year. And I shot a nice 10 pointer the next year out of the same exact tree. Um, yeah, I shot like six times at it. I hit it once at least. So <laughs> my uh, first year was a button buck. Uh, I believe I was nine years old. That was gun season. Um, I was by myself. I dragged the thing all the way home by myself. Um, hunting in the backyard, basically. Um, my first bull kill was, I think I was 10 years old. It was a seven pointer. And um, I shot it at about 60 yards. I just flung an arrow through the sky and hit it. Um, but that's, you know, I didn't have any mentors to teach me that that was a bad thing to do. I just kept launching arrows and one day I hit one. And, uh, <laughs> and I yeah. got him, you know. Um, my first big buck, I mean, it would probably matter what you mean by big buck. Um, yeah. Um, back in those days, you know, a two-year-old that scored 100 was a big buck. Yeah. You know, people really got excited over something like that. And I was shooting those by about probably 13, 14. I was shooting them pretty much on a regular basis. Um, what I would consider a big buck, my first really big one was in uh, 89. That was when I hunted for uh, several years. I had all the sheds, and uh, it's really kind of the one that mentored me into the bed hunting kind of thing. And that, that deer is still one of my biggest deer. Um, I actually crawled into a, or, well, actually, I got into a, the tip of a little draw where I figured he was bedding. And uh, I figured if I went in from the, the left, he would run out to the right and vice versa. But I realized there's this little hill where you could get above him and you could see the whole thing. And I thought, you know, there's some old junk in here. It was a farm dump. Um, if you guys aren't familiar with that, farmers used to, uh, not have uh, garbage pickups, so they just dump all their garbage in one area. Yeah, usually a draw. So this draw was full of garbage, and there's an old car in the middle of it near where these beds were. And I picked up this rock and I squared that uh, car right in the top of the roof and got my gun ready. And sure enough, that buck jumped up and ran out, and I shot him. And that was one of the, still one of my biggest bucks. How big was it? Uh, it's just under 170 class. It's got, uh, you know, about 12 or 13 inch brow tines, yeah. 10 frame, really nice buck, really nice cage. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, and he asked, he asked what was the smallest couple deer we shot starting off here. I shot a button buck that same year. I remember on a deer drive. I thought that was cool. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I shot a spike about five years ago. That was smaller than both of those. But uh, anyway, yeah, man, uh, it, it's a young kid asking the question. So just uh, keep hunting and have fun. That's what you need to do. Don't worry about how yeah, big, don't big worry it about is. Big, deer. big ones will come. Yep. Kill some deer. It's fun to shoot small ones sometimes. Yeah. You, you know what uh, You know what creates a, a person like me doesn't 
that's a killer is is that uh, I don't start out holding out for giant bucks. I go out and kill some deer, and then you get better and better at it. You know, you don't if you start out with big bucks, you're going to have a long hard start. Yeah, and go through a, quite a few years of frustration. But if you learn how to kill deer, and then as you get good and you get real good at it, you just keep up in the, the, what you're going after, you know, to fit your uh, your abilities. And uh, don't worry about what everybody else is doing online or anything. Just worry about you because it's not apples to apples. Yeah, for sure. Got a question over there, Tim. Related to the topic, you know, in Michigan we have the. Uh, we have the youth hunt. Okay, it's on. You're good. Uh, we get a lot of kids. If you watch like the Michigan Buck Pull website or Facebook page, etc., and they're starting out, and these kids are seven, sometimes even younger, seven, eight years old, and they're shooting these 130 and up bucks. What do you think? What's your opinion of somebody who goes out there and whacks a giant first thing, and then maybe there's a letdown and they're not seeing big bucks? later on in life once they can't hunt a youth hunt or they've got to be out there with the rest of everybody else. Um, I think that's a detriment to the hunter numbers, uh, kids that are given up due to, you know, they shoot a big one first thing and all they see is little ones after. If shooting a big buck is a detriment and it's making you not want to hunt anymore, that's a problem. I don't think you can solve. I think that somebody's going to get out of hunting anyways. You know, um, I think getting that buck down probably uh, keeps them interested in hunting keeps them wanting to do that again i think somebody who has no success for a few years probably got it worse you know it's a lot different i had this conversation with somebody in the audience but it's a lot different now than it was like when i was a kid um and i i have to realize that too because i mean it's easy to get down on like uh the youth hunt and stuff like that because the, uh you, you know you look at the youth hunt and you're like well, you know, you take that kid, you uh, give him a special hunch, take him out there, treat him special and stuff. And that's not really hunting. That's like babysitting, you know, where when I was a kid, there was something about earning your way into deer camp. You know, it's like uh, you're a man when you got invited into the man's camp to, to hunt with men and do it the way men do on the days that men do it. And you didn't start out in the best spot. Dad didn't put you where you're going to shoot the big 12-pointer. Dad was sitting where he's going to shoot the big 12-pointer. You get to go find your spot over someplace, you know. And you earned it. You had to build your way as a hunter. And uh, there's something to that. But what I have to remember at my age is that this isn't 1970. And kids nowadays, you're competing against, uh, you know, video games and, and uh, all kinds of stuff. You know, their friends and stuff where we didn't have that when we were kids. We didn't have cell phones. We didn't have any of that. I mean, so you kind of do got to, you know, cater them it's a different crowd you know so i think that the success probably actually helps keep them involved nowadays personal you got anything on that yeah i mean i kind of know i get i think i get the point you're you're making like i uh i have a i kind of have a problem with like raising a kid to where you go set in a box blind and you're on your tablet until your dad taps you on the shoulder and say hey there's a buck in the food plot shoot it it's like man i don't know if they're really learning anything there you know so that's something like i'm i'm really because i have a two-year-old son i'm like i think about it every day like how am i going to introduce him to this and and how you know what's the best way like you know like dan's i think dan you probably okay to talk about this like you talked about you probably pushed your kids too hard in hunting. yeah i did and so like i don't you know i, I try to i'm like you know mm, 
and you know, for me, I don't know. I just wanted to hunt. Like, I don't, I don't think you could have pushed me hard enough when I was little. Um, but I think I, yeah, I don't know. I've hunted with some, some kids that were like, we didn't see a deer the first 30 minutes we were done. He's like, I'm going to go, I want to go home. You know, ah, you know, that's not, that's not hunting, man. You're going to have to sit here a little bit. Um, so there probably is a fine line where you got to push them a little bit and make it, you know, so it's not a guarantee. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm going to find out though. We'll give her a shot with him. <laughs> even, even when you look at like, uh, the Turkey youth hunts, you know, over by me, they have, uh, these, uh, mentoring clinics yeah. where the DNR is, you know, sponsoring, mentoring kids to Turkey hunt. And some friends of mine got involved in it. I went and watched it go on and I was like, you know, I don't really like this so much from an outside perspective because they weren't mentoring the kids. They were having them kill turkeys. Basically, they're taking them to blind in the dark. They didn't set up that they'd never been to before. They'd meet the hunter in the morning in the dark for the very first time and then go out and yeah kill a turkey. You know, where I think, you know, mentoring is taking them out, teaching them about putting the stand up, teaching yeah. them about putting the blind up, teaching them about uh, why you're there and stuff. And it eventually leads to a hunt. And then yeah. I think you have a better outcome. And then you know if that kid can't handle sitting in the stand for 30 seconds because he won't handle a scout. Right. You know, you either love it or you don't. Yeah. Yeah, I just don't know how much of that stuff goes on anymore is what I'm afraid of, I guess. And maybe I'm not giving people enough credit, but it's like like when I went, when I was nine, like I climbed my own tree and, and held my own gun. I didn't have a mm -hmm. some tripod thing holding my gun. And I, I don't know. Um, I'm sure it's still out there. It's just not as, as prevalent as, right. as it was with us. I mean, I'm, I'm sure a lot of the people in here got good kids that are. Yeah, for sure. That's what I, yeah. I'm not, a, not generalizing. I just, I think a lot more of the, it goes, goes on in a way that I don't think is helpful for the kids. But anyway, that's a good question. We could probably make a whole podcast about getting kids into hunting. Um, okay. Chase Eckert asks, do you think deer bed in layers? Where does the, bed closest uh, to the food source, uh, then bucks bed further behind them. So oh, where does, sorry, I read it at a sixth grade level, where you know, does bed close to the food source and bucks layer behind them? I'd say kind of. What I mean by kind of is they don't, a lot of times the does like bed up at a higher elevation, especially like lowland. They'll bed up a little higher and a little front of the, the bucks and the bucks will bed down the lower stuff where they got the better back cover and you know what I mean? But yeah. I don't think they're layered for a reason. It's not like they're using the does for protection or something. It's just where they're bedded. You know, I don't, I don't think there's a actual reason for it. I think the bucks, for the most part, unless it's rut, are ignoring the does. There you go. Okay. Um, Ronald, this may be a good question uh, for you to listen to here. Someone asked, can you all talk more about your hunt tactics during the rut in hill country? I heard Dan says he likes the third side of the ridge. What about saddles? You want me to go first? Yeah, go first. Okay. So, um, saddles can be good and can be bad. I mean, I've seen a lot of saddles that look yeah. great on a map and they suck, you know? Um, yeah, I try to, uh, I really try to focus on, um, where I think the bucks are bedded and in between or bucks and does where there's bedding close to each other and they got good cover in between on a leeward ridge. Um, those have been really good for me for older deer. Um, the main leeward ridges that are obvious usually don't produce anything over three years old for me on most public land. Yeah. You know, the mature bucks, if I get them during rut on leeward hills, it's usually something off the side um, near a parking lot or 
um, where somebody wouldn't think, and it's usually really heavy cover, and there's just a you know a small distance between two bedding areas, and I get right in between them. Yeah, and I don't really worry about the saddles as much. Lower pressure, you get a lot more distant movement. Um, but with that said, I've seen some awfully good saddles. Yeah, but it's not, it's not every one. It's not what like some magazines and stuff would make you want to believe. Yeah, typically, like if, if a saddle like smacks you in the face on a map, it's probably not that good. Like there's probably everybody else has seen it, and you know there's probably already a a guy that's hunting it to death or something. So, um, well, we saw that. I used to have a really good saddle in, in a, a spot that Dan hunted with me. And just one year, a group of guys found it and just, I mean, it was pretty far in too. It was, oh, yeah. it was over a mile in. And uh, yeah, but it was very obvious on the map. Um, but just like that, it's kind of not good anymore. Uh, but Hill Country is a pretty good area to be in during the rut. I mean, yeah. you, you can uh, you can do do well in hill country all right gary my buddy gary he asked what is your favorite deer you killed hmm. favorite one they're all special yeah um probably the the slob buck the giant yeah so um not necessarily score. I think it scored in the 160s, but it was uh, um, when we field dressed it, it bottomed out a 300 pound scale. We still don't know what it weighed. And then I probably should have got it officially weighed, but I didn't. Yeah. I think it was like a cow. Yeah. I don't know if I'd have a. I shot one when I was like 15. And I, I like the story because I think it's funny, but like my mom would take me hunting after school. She dropped me off someplace wherever I was going to hunt. And she dropped me off at this one spot. Well, the, the farmer's kids are riding their motorcycles around the property. And I was like, I was so aggravated. I was like, ah, you know, I was mad. I'm like, ah, just take me over to this other spot. The farmer said I could hunt this. And he kind of was like, he kind of told me you can hunt it. I don't think there's any deer over there and blah, blah, blah. And so I went in there and I found a scrape along the cornfield edge. This is early season. And uh, I set up on it and I, I ended up shooting a really nice like 130 inch 11 pointer that night while well, you're all angry that you had to hunt yeah. yeah yeah and that's one of my favorite deer for some reason like it's not the biggest deer i've ever killed or anything i just i like the story and that it kind of taught me a lesson like to stay positive about things and i was just an honorary 15 year old but um, i had to have been 15 because like my mom's dropping me off to, to go i remember but um that was probably my if i had to like pick one i don't know there's so many it's hard to pick one i killed a Killed a buck in Wisconsin last year. That was really fun. Ones I've killed with my dad and my uncles. I don't know. It's there's too many to pick one. Is All right. Anybody in the audience? Come yeah. Does anybody in the audience? There's one, there's one back there. Tim. Just a second. You don't mic here. I can't. You just talk a little bit about stopping a moving buck in your kill area. Yeah. So I think he's asking, like. Your opinion on stopping a buck going man or whatever whistle. Yeah, I did a video just a buck grunt, you know. Yeah. If there's any other theory about that that you got? I did. I did a video on that on my uh, YouTube page, and I showed some film of uh, some different deer and some different scenarios. I uh, I got one scenario where my uh, my son has a doe walking by, nonchalant, has no idea he's there, and he goes dead as he as he comes to full draw, and that deer without hesitation just blasts out of the area. And I've seen that with bucks and stuff too. 
and I've seen him stop perfect for a shot. Well, my take on it is is if I can uh, if I think I can stop him and I'm not going to alert him, you know, like they're not already on edge and they're not speed walking, I'll kind of wait for a shot, right? And I won't force it with a stopping or whatever. But if I think that they're walking too fast or they're a little further out and I want to shoot a walking deer, then I'll, I'll try and stop them. But I, I do, I do caution that it doesn't always work like it does on TV. Yeah. Occasionally they just blast out of there. They've been in that scenario before, especially on, on heavily public property, you know, heavy, heavy pressure property. You gotta remember too, um, a lot of people might not realize this, but when I shoot a mature buck on, on public land, generally you find a couple projectiles in it. You know, you find uh, arrow holes through the ears, you find wounds in them, you find uh, broken bones in your legs and, you know, broadheads in your shoulder blades. I mean, they don't get to be five or six years old without, you know, learning a few really hard lessons on pressured land. So it's not like uh, the private land you watch on TV. But that said, usually it works, but just keep that in mind, it's usual. So um, I would try and if I have the room, I would wait for a natural shot when the deer stops or whatever. But if I don't have that uh, room, if it's in tight cover, you got to get them to stop between limbs or something. Well, then you got to do what you got to do. Dan, I fire it on the same topic. Didn't you talk about a deer, was it last year's deer that didn't stop and you had a reason for that? Yes. You, you, you didn't cover that early on. Yeah, I, uh, the mature buck I shot last year in early season, um, I knew where he was bedded. Um, he came out of the bedding, was walking in, and he got behind a uh, a bush. And when I drew my bow, maybe I was a little excited or something, I drew it a little hard. And it made a little click noise. And it was a minute noise, but that deer heard it. It was dead silent out. And it's just locked up and it's on the other side of that bush. And I sat there at uh, full draw for, I don't know, probably over a minute. Yeah. And I wished it a long time in the tree. And uh, figuring he was going to run and I could probably get a shot when he, before he got back in the cattails at about 20, 25 yards and he stopped and looked back. I just sat there full draw, staring at him while he looked around. Finally, he flicked his tail and he came in and he walked by at 10 yards, walking fast and hard but not no, no more concerning about that noise. But at that point, I felt that deer already got alerted once. If you're that age, you go and grunt stop him now. He's bolting out of there. So I took the shot walking. Because of that, I hit him a little bad. I hit him a little far back because he was walking faster than I thought. And I got shot and had to find him with a dog. But uh, the point is, if I would have stopped him, I'm sure he would have not stopped. He would have bolted because he was already alert to my presence. So I would not stop a deer that has smelt me. And he's like acting cautious, sniffing the wind or licking his nose. Licking their nose is a sign that they're smelling something funky. Um, or, if, you know, you made a noise and he's kind of alert to you. Or if he's crossed your scent trail going in there, I'm not stopping that deer. Yeah. I'm only stopping a, uh, a deer that uh, has no idea I'm there and it's just walking by. You got anything to say on that? Um, I, at all costs, try not to stop him. I've killed deer stopping them. I haven't really spooked one, but you really, like you were just talking about, like you really got to get good at reading deer's personalities before they, before you do something like that. Personalities in their temperature. You know, if they're, like Dan said, if they're on edge, I wouldn't, I wouldn't try it. I can, I can remember um, once when I shot one that was running by me full out and I just yelled, hey, you yeah. know, stop, they shot it. 
I think he was asking too, like, is do you do you typically mant at them or do you whistle or click your teeth together? Or? I uh, if you watch my videos, you probably heard a lot of all of it. You know? Yeah, I've whistled at them, I've grunted at them, I've yelled so whatever at comes them. to your mind. Yeah, <laughs> I usually try to go mant or something like that. Or, yeah, but I go a lot. Yeah. You know. Yeah. The thing is, too, what you got to remember too is is when you stop a deer, like like say a deer's walking by you, man, or whatever. Yeah. They don't generally hear does grunting in trees. No, right. Not so generally. they get a little worked up and they look at you. And then when they when they lock back on you and you release that arrow, you're way, way more likely to have that deer drop the string. Yeah. And go underneath your, your arrow because and you're shooting a heavy arrow. Tense, they know something's yeah. up. Everybody shoot a heavy arrow now and they right. shoot underneath it. Yeah. Oh. No, kidding. They're just uh <laughs> put three of them on there. Three of them. Like buckshot. Right? <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. That's a good question, though, because that's a scenario everybody's going to come into. Like, they're going to have to make a decision to go mant or not. So, um, all right. Here's the guys from the Pusher on tonight, too. If you guys don't know them, they are uh, traditional archery guys. They they have a pretty good YouTube channel, pretty big one, too. They asked if you're going to take your recurve out this fall from Tim. Tim's the one that gave you the arrow quiver. Yeah, I don't know if I will or not. I, I was uh, just playing with that uh, that pack they gave me the other day. I was checking out my camera fits it and stuff. Yeah, it's a cool pack. Thanks, guys. Um, I don't know if I'll get the recurve out or not. I might. Um, I got to practice with it a little too to be confident yeah. with it though, because I don't want to wound anything. Yeah, that's probably your problem with the recurve. Is yeah, I just don't have the time, time to practice. Yeah. I like them; they're fun. Yeah, they're so fun to hunt with and, and shoot in general. Just to get one to shoot. Um, hard to put down sometimes. Have you seen the black deer yet? I have not, but I've been looking. Yeah. I did while looking see a bachelor group of bucks that were just gigantic. One of them is probably Boone and Crockett. Um, but they're not on the property I can hunt, but they're right next to it. So it's a possibility. I got I to gotta keep an eye on them. But one of them was, it was unbelievable how big his rack was at this time of the year. Really? Yeah. I don't, I've never seen a black deer, ever. I have never seen one in person. I've seen pictures. But yeah, I've yeah, seen a sure. lot of white ones and stuff. I think the black ones are a lot more rare. Uh, for those that don't know what we're talking about, it's melanistic. It's a, it's a phase of deer, like a white phase, but it's a pretty rare one. And uh, um, people in town were talking about one in town, and then uh, somebody had a grainy cell phone picture and showed it to me and told me where it was at, and I've been trying to... Uh, get my eyes on it and get some film of it but so far i've been unsuccessful i got someone's phone here oh yeah look at that thing yeah that's melanistic correct that's cool that's a so your picture? everybody that's all right with you that's kind of what they look like see that black deer in the back Sorry, you guys probably can't see it on TV. That's pretty cool. That'll be, you have a white one, a black one, and a, a regular 40 of them or so. Yeah, my, if, if I shot that one, it might be the first one to get a black one. Yeah, one. it's like some kind of a slam, like the right. weird colored deer slam. <laughs> um, all right, Eric asks, how do you find time to scout being so busy? Me? Yeah, you. How do I find time to scout? I don't. I, I hardly get out. And with that said, I probably scout most of more than 
<laughs> most of the people in the room, but yeah, I'd certainly like to get out a lot more than I do. Um, I just dedicate my uh, my time to this stuff because that's um, this is what I want to do is I want to teach people. I think I've killed enough deer. I don't have anything to prove, and I don't. And I think I'm going to continue to kill deer, but uh, um, I really like the aspect of uh, helping people get involved in the sport and stuff. So I uh, put the time into it to do that. Yeah, it uh, it was easy to find time when I was in my twenties. Well, it should be easy for you now. You put your well, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, for sure. It will be. If I quit be, my job, be. I could make up for the, all this time that I'm doing. Yeah. Um, but I, I, right now, I still have a job until August 1st, and it's been, uh, this year's been pretty rough for getting out and scouting. But I think if uh, I quit my job, Carol would kill me. So right now, my mission is to get fired. There you go. <laughs> but I didn't show up for a week, and they gave me a raise to get me to stay more. <laughs> so it's, it's backfired. Oh, well, yeah. I, I hope he's not listening to this. Maybe you should try harder. Maybe if my boss is listening to this, that was a joke. Yeah. Uh, all right. Um, here's a question from, from Mark here. What's your broadhead of choice? Someone else. Yeah. What's your broadhead of choice? I'm using the G5 Strikers right now, yeah, um, and I'm really liking them. Uh, they're flying real good, um, and I'm getting really good penetration on them. Uh, really like them. Yeah, and I shoot the G5 Montec. I've probably shot them for the last five years. I really love them. They're easy to sharpen. I've, I had a, I had a, uh, a spell of where I went into the um, the heavy arrow thing with the single bevel, and I had I had a couple bad experiences with it and I, I went back to my tried and true that thing um i just got a few more packs of them so we're not just saying that because g5 guys are sitting here they're all right but uh I, I yeah i've used that for years I, I was using um muzzies from way back yeah and uh was doing pretty good with them my pattern was a little bigger than uh, the target tips yeah but it started getting worse and worse and i started getting really um you know bad product you know you'd get you know one of the broadheads in your pack would be so far out it'd be crazy yeah and i gotta have stuff i can trust I, and shooting shooting uh g5s i'm getting consistent flight out of everyone i grab out of yeah. the package they're made right here in michigan right guys and like i think i think a lot of issues with some of those broadheads that you know we're not gonna name a bunch of them dan just named one of them but like i think a lot of them got sold like yeah, from the original chance that's exactly original companies got, got yeah. sold and then stuff goes you know overseas to be made and quality goes down and then um a lot of companies like that i think i think yeah a lot of them have have went that route um so uh yep that's what we're shooting anybody from the audience have any questions at all over here we got one tim over there back in there So back to the hill country. Um, so a lot of times I have low wind speeds. Uh, we hunt the hill country now. So in regards to bedding, uh, we use a lot of frame, for example. Say you have a north, north south running ridge. Um, are you gonna? Are those deer gonna bed like? You know, your thermal pull on the west side is gonna be a lot stronger in the AM until you know mm -hmm. maybe 10 AM. Are they going to use that thermal pull 
um, as an advantage for their betting because it's basically going to be overpowering the wind or um, are they going to bet in a, in a situation where it's going to give them a visual advantage um, or both? I, I think generally um, before the thermals even kick in, they're bedding up higher and they're getting to right where the wind goes over the top. So they're smelling from above them and they're watching down the hill. And I think that's more powerful than the actual thermal coming up to them. So I think they're going to choose that higher up elevation. And they may move when the thermals kick in, but it's going to be small distances, not something you're going to get in between. You know, you're just going to move around on that hill a little bit to a couple beds. If it's a real sharp drop off, they might not. They might just stay in that one bed. But uh, I think they're going to choose that bed before the thermal even kicks in. So does that answer your question? Yeah. All right. Yeah, how's your building project? You know, I've heard that like five times tonight. Uh, we got the poles up, so I've been waiting for the builders to come back and and finish. Um, it's at least moving in the right direction. So hopefully, one of these days I have one. But uh, I'm not getting the, the doors till October, anyways. Apparently, there's a nationwide door shortage, is what I'm told. All right. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you're scouting with your stand on your back in season, how do you decide when you have to, uh, when you have gone far enough and it's time to hunt? Kenny Rogers. No when to hold. Yeah. It ain't easy. I mean, uh, basically, um, you get better with it over time. It's uh, you're going in and you're reading the terrain and you're guessing where that buck's betting. You're following that sign in and you're saying, okay, this looks like bedding. It looks to me like he's going to be up here. What's the wind doing? Is he going to be on that transition watching out? You know, is he going to be further in the second transition? Where's he going to be? And a lot of that falls into all the beds I've looked at in the spring, you know, over years and years and years. So you get better at it. At first, you're going to make some mistakes, I think. But you take a guess and you set up with your best guess and you live with the results. That's how you yeah. do it. So, I mean, if it's a point, you figure he's bedding towards the tip of the points. Those are easy. You're not getting far enough where he's going to smell or see you at the end of the point, right? Right. Um, but you're taking a guess at it, and you're you're just taking your best chance. You know, I think if I if I was unsure with it, I'd set a little further back, and you might learn some lessons and see a deer not get to you quite in daylight, and you learn to move up a little bit the next time. But uh, I'm trying to put myself in that uh, 75 to 150-yard range. Swampy terrains, I'm closer. Open terrains, I'm further back. You know. What percentage of hunts would you say um, you get to that spot you had in mind when you're scouting in? Like, do you? How often do you like divert your plan going in hunting? Oh, it's constant. Yeah. Oh, it's constant. Are you talking going in blind, or are you talking? No, no, no. Like, you you're scouting all the time, right? Yeah. No matter if you have a, I'm going to this tree tonight. It's a mile and a half back here. But I'm gonna. What I mean? I mean, how often do you make it to that tree? 
Yeah, it's crazy. I, I often don't, as yeah. you know, I know because you've hunted with me. Yeah. Um, I'll plan to hunt out of a tree, and that's what he's getting at. And it's fairly good odds that I don't make it there because uh, I always plan a path to scout my way in based on transitions and stuff. And I'll look for hot sign along the way, and hot sign will trump some spot that I scouted last spring. If I find that hot sign, I'll set up on that bedding, you know. Um, so I'm generally, I'm scouting like transition edges going in, or if it's uh, hill country, Leeward Ridge. Yeah. Maybe. But uh, I think it's a yeah. good. I think it's a good. Uh, you make a shirt, hot sign trumps spring scouting. Yeah. I don't think I've ever heard you say that like that. So that's pretty, pretty good. Uh, pretty good thing to keep in the back of your mind. Okay, here's Stan P, who is our number one commenter on our uh, our YouTube here. Um, how did the hunting beast logo come about? Uh, actually, uh, Mario designed that. Um, I made that uh, antler bracket for the uh, for the stand, for the back of the stand, or the back of the stick. And he picked it up and he looked at it like this and he goes, dude, here's your logo. And then he drew that little deer in there. And, oh, really? Yeah, and then he had a guy uh, finish the design first. Hmm. So you had that you didn't have that logo until you started Beast Gear. Yep, that's correct. Oh. Hmm. Before I thought, that I had that stupid earless wolf that everybody wants. Oh yeah. old picture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it, yeah it goes yeah. way back to around two thousand or something. I gotcha. Yeah, yeah. I remember that one too. Because he had his ears laid back and it looked like he had no ears, so people yep. called it the earless wolf. All right here. Let's see here. Um, make sure there's no hands in the air. Anybody have a question out there at all? I keep forgetting to look up. I feel like I'm gonna miss you guys. All right. You know what else we need? Not just a logo, but we need a mascot. A mascot. Yeah, me and Tim were talking about that on the way here. Because you know, you're bored driving when my radio's broke. So yeah. we're talking about uh, <laughs> doing yeah. like a flop, floppy the raccoon mascot. You know, that'd be fun. That would miss doing. You've seen the pictures of it, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right it's the biggest table. Need a mascot. We're gonna make that coon famous. Yeah, we could bring it to play. You know, let them clean, let them clean up the floors. I bring stuff. donuts home, and I could just lure that right into the car. You know, come with me to these events. <laughs> She'd sit right here as long as I got donuts. She's just gonna sit here. Only you need a table like this just right. for her and her fat butt. Yeah. <laughs> well, these guys probably don't watch my personal page, so they probably don't see Floppy. Yeah, I got Floppy's a, a big raccoon. I got a big raccoon that comes out of the swamp to visit me every night, and uh, we sit on a chair and have conversations and eat donuts. She eats donuts. I'm on a diet. All right. Um, uh, when you're scouting and identifying a deer's core area, how big is a typical core early early season? And if using trail cameras, does timing of a picture hold higher value or number of pictures? So he's asking, how do you identify um, a deer's core area? And how big is it during early season? Yeah, that's a very hard question. Uh, I hear a lot of people talking about core areas. It's pretty hard to determine what a deer's core area is. Um, if you're talking about where it lives, I've seen deer that over time you figure out that it lives in a very tight area especially your older here might live in like a quarter mile area, but it, it ventures out, but it lives there. You find other deer that live in a five mile area and some of them that migrate at different times of the season around the different areas. It's a hard thing to put a, 
to, you know, to, to, to talk about, but uh, I really concentrate on the bedding. So if I find a big buck in an area, what I do is I kind of branch out from where I know, where I've seen him, where I got a picture or whatever. And uh, I look for all the bedding within that like block in that area. And then I start watching for that buck and I look for his sign. A lot of times they have unique rubs or they got a unique track or something. I try to determine that and I try to try to find that in the, the outskirts. But I find as many bedding areas as I can, right? If it's in season, I try to guess where they're at based on the terrain. And then I hop around and I try to hunt those spots and hunt them down. Um, as far as the trail camera pictures go, uh, one picture, a thousand pictures, is the same thing to me because I just want to know he's there. Yeah. Um, what is it? What is important about a picture is that uh, it's somewhat in a time frame that makes me think that that deer is on that land in daylight, that he lives there, that he's not traveling at night to get to where I got the picture. Um, so that's important. But uh, I don't necessarily put cameras um, in my hunting areas or my bedding areas. I just want to know a deer lives there. The camera tells me the deer is there. My scouting will kill the deer once I know he's there. But it's important for me to be hunting an actual big buck. I think a lot of people aren't. What they do is they hunt properties. And what I mean by that is, uh, and I get people come up to me all the time and say, well, I hunt this particular public property and I'm not seeing bucks and this, that, and the other thing. I didn't know there was a buck there to hunt, you know? Yeah. Well, it's a good area. So-and-so killed a big buck there. Yeah, what year? You know, I'm constantly shifting around to where the deer are. I want to find the buck that I want to hunt, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm either onto a buck that I know about or I'm doing spot hunts where I'm looking for sign when I go into different woodlots and trying to determine if the sign of big rubs, big tracks and stuff are there. And then when I find a buck, I start closing in on that area and then I hunt that area down and all the bedding in it. And if I get through the whole area and I never cross paths, well, then I move to another area. I start, I spread out again and fine tune again when I, uh, when I find one, but you gotta be hunting a buck. Yeah. So that the cameras are just telling me that the buck lives there. Right. It doesn't matter how many pictures. All right. This is a, this is a question for Rick. When will more three fingered hookers be available? Couple weeks. Approximately a couple weeks, yeah. There Actually, you go. Uh, we put Dan Jr. to work. He's making them in his basement. Oh, really? Yep. Mm -hmm. There you go. So keep your eye out. You'll get them well, well before season then. Oh, sorry about YouTube. That's our ice, ice maker right behind me here. So hearing some loud banging around, that's what that is. Um, okay. Every time I go to read one, the, someone makes a chat and I lose it. Okay. Would you hunt near acorns or apples during the early season? Whichever one's got the buck by it. Yeah. So you got to let the sign dictate where you're hunting. We don't have apple, many apple trees in southern Indiana, so. It's probably going to be acorns, but uh, but it's going to be where the sign is. All right. Someone asked if... Uh, if Ricky Poo could sign his Before the Echo hat as Ricky Poo. Sure. <laughs> All right. There was somebody here that asked that too. Did you sign one? Nice. That's shots. Yeah, it was. All it was right. him that. Uh... Hey, Rick, go, <laughs> there you go. Oh, I'm going through the chats. Looks like. <laughs> <laughs> 
Did it make him feel good? Ricky poop. Ricky poop. <laughs> Get a chant going. Everybody at the house can start chanting too. Well, we've been on here for well over an hour now. Do you guys got in the in the audience have any questions at all? Everybody. So I've heard I've heard certain people say give them the mic real quick. That way people can hear it on TV here. I've heard people on YouTube or hunting shows say that when a buck gets like past five or six years old, it actually becomes more um, visible during daylight. Have you found that to be the case? No. I found them easier to kill, but not more visible in daylight. What I mean by that is that uh, older class deer lock down into small areas, and it's hard to kick them out of them. Because, um, like when I take a look at a marsh, say, uh, say I'm hunting a 400-acre marsh, I might find uh, 75 bedding areas in that marsh, and uh, 60 of them will have will hold bucks up to two years old, and 15 of them will hold mature bucks. It's like they won't bed in the same spot. Well, they do, but I mean, the big bucks will only bed in the best ones. You know what I mean? Um, and they kind of start locking into those areas. And I think those old bucks sometimes just lock into like the best spot. That buck I killed last year was like that. He lived in a little tight area. Now, killing him is pretty hard in that area. But knowing he's there, I mean, you couldn't kick him out of there. You walk in circles around him, he's just going to run around you and stay in there and not come out. Because he found a secure area where you can't kill him, and that's why he got to that age, you know. And but, you know, you can you can get on him a little easier that way. But uh, does that answer your question? All right. What do you think? You see any of that? Um. Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I don't know how many six-year-old deer I've killed in my life. Um, but I think, I think you're probably right. I mean, I, don't, I guess I don't have much else to, to say about well, it. You got one, way more experience. One big buck that, um, yeah. that we got onto in the saddle that was not living there for a couple of years, right oh. in one spot. Yeah. He was, I picked up sheds for him for three years in a row, both sides in almost the exact same area. Yeah. Um, and he was probably a three-year-old when I first found a shed. Yeah. Um, they mean to then, imply they're easy to kill, but they, yeah. they start living in a tight area. Oh Yeah. Yeah, he and he he was there. I mean, I got pictures of him in early season there, and obviously I picked the sheds up there, so he was there all the time. Um, but yeah, um, someone uh, Gary asked, uh, "Do you have any particular bucks you are after this year that you have history with?" Yeah, there's. A, uh, I better not talk about that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's uh there's quite a few that I have history with. Um, there's there's always that shadow of doubt they're not around until I see them. But th there's always a few that are Passovers yeah. from last year. Um, there's a couple that I got in the back of my mind. I really don't want to talk too much about them or I tip people off. But, uh, but yes. Yeah, I got a, I got a pretty big one that I we kind of had on camera the last couple of years. But I've had, I've had a camera out all month here and haven't got a picture of him yet. So. Doesn't mean he's not around, but he may show up. So, but yeah, there's a, there's a few other ones that are good ones. Nothing that's gonna like change the world or anything, but good ones. Um, Gary, you probably got more deer down here than I do to chase after. 
Uh, yeah, Gary's got easy terrain. I saw what you did. You went down there in a weekend and shot yep. that giant. Yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Someone asked if uh, Dan's early buck from last year's on YouTube. It is. It's on the Hunt and Beast yeah, channel. Yeah, uh, if you uh, click videos on the top, I think it says uh, uh, something about a, killing a big buck early season. So it would have been in the time frame of last September posted. It's a good video. Hmm. Oh, so we asked, uh, when is Lou going to get you and Josh to come do a work scouting workshop in Michigan? Hmm. Everybody's after me to do that. Yeah, Lou mentioned uh, it. I did one longer. once, and it was uh, it was a riot. Um, might be able to do it. I mean, uh, I'm sure Lou's over there tempting him to get me to do that somewhere. Where is that? Yeah. Somehow he wrote me into coming here, so. <laughs> probably get me to come back and do something like that. I might do it. Um, I really, to be honest, uh, those of you who really want to do a workshop, coming out to my place and doing them, I think it's better. And the reason is, is when I do them on a trip like this, it's not that it's, it's not fun and you guys don't enjoy it and learn stuff, but I just basically walk through a woods and you walk through it with me and learn things. But when I do it by my house, I take you to areas where I've actually killed big bucks on public land. I take you on to public land and I show you the setups and I show you where I hunted, how I picked the tree, where the bucks were bedded, where I killed them. And I think it's just a little bit more educational and more fun that way. And it, it really gives you an impact of the setups and how close they are and stuff that you can't really make out on video. So, um, you know, taking a little uh, six hour ride around the lake, I don't think it's that big of a deal, you know, for the extra you get out of it, you know. But with that said, I know, you know, a lot of you guys would like to see me on your land here, do one. Um, and I'm going to try. If I can fit the time in, I'll try and, and do that. All right, we'll do a couple more questions and we'll get off here, everybody. A lot, a lot of comments on, on the YouTube channel. So thanks for that. If you guys haven't subscribed, make sure you do that. If you're on here, you win you a set of beast sticks. All right. He's asking if a guy was going to do a DIY public uh, hunt. He says in Indiana, but we can probably apply it to any state. What time of year is best? Early, late, rut? What do you think? August. You walk around the fields in the August. Daylight, yeah. I don't know if I'd um, take that advice. It depends on what you're looking for. I think that uh, your best odds of killing an absolute giant are opening week. Mm hmm. I think your best odds of getting a nice buck are, are uh, peak rut. So, which by you, what is that first week of November second? Yeah. Like that. Yeah. But uh, I think getting you're less likely to kill a deer the first week, but you're more likely to kill a giant. Um, I've killed uh, like in my top ten bucks. I think I'm guessing here, but I think six or seven of them were open week. Yeah. I don't know. Opening opening week is just the funnest for me. Like you've just been waiting all summer to get out there and it's finally here and that's half the fun. And then the other, like, like Dan said, there's some of that too, but that's always just like, there's no burnout at all that time of year. You're ready to go. And um, that's my favorite time too. It's not real cold. Um, it's a, you got to remember too, there's two different kinds of opening, opening days. Yeah. I, I forget that I'm in Michigan here and, uh, in Michigan, they open October 1st. Just like we do. We open in, in early September. 
and there's a huge difference. Early September, they're moving a lot earlier and stuff, and they're still kind of on summer patterns. It's a lot easier to kill a big buck. But I've killed plenty of big bucks on the first week of October, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what's your favorite map scouting app, Dan? Um, I like Hillmap. Hillmap.com. Uh, on Hillmap, it splits the map in the middle of the screen, and you can uh, set one side for um, topo, one side for aerial, and a few other variations. And you can look at the same spot at the same time when you move it to both move. And then you can expand it on one side and expand it. That's my favorite uh, mapping system. Um, that hill that that scouting workshop you did at Land Between the Lakes. You didn't film that, did you? Yeah. Is it on your YouTube channel? Um, Someone's asking. Is why I'm asking. I don't know. Yeah, I think it, it's on the the hill betting DVD. I think oh, that's we got what a lot of the okay. pieces of it in there. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's on YouTube. Yeah, we got a uh, question in the back, Tim. And uh, light them up could, out. We could maybe put that on YouTube. I'll have to look at what the quality yeah. is. It was really amateurly filmed by somebody in the audience. Light them up outdoors is on tonight too. Hey guys. They got, yep, they got a good channel to check out. Guys from the south, if you're into that kind of thing. Hey, so uh, my question, um, so this past spring, I found a pretty nice deadhead when I was out scouting. And um, I know I've heard on your channel that bucks will, like that buck might be dead, but another bigger buck will find uh, a bed in where another big buck will bed. So have you guys ever had a scenario where you found a deadhead and that led to you like killing a buck in that area the next year? Uh, yeah, I mean, um, a lot of the uh, big buck bedding areas that I find, I find deadheads in there and uh, in carcasses. Uh, I think a lot of a lot of deer go back to their bedding areas to, to die. And uh, the same reason that a deer picks a bedding area to bed in is the same reason the next one's going to. Um, it's not like they haphazardly bed. They pick an exact spot for an exact reason, especially um, older deer and older bucks. Um, so if that deer was actually bedding there and didn't just randomly die there, it's going to be a good area in the future. Someone asked, where can they purchase the DVDs? The Hunting Beast DVDs are on uh, my website, thehuntingbeast.com. You got to go up on the top and click store. Anybody else have any questions out, out in the crowd at all? That guy over there. Yeah. I hope it's not that crazy looking man. Yeah. This is scaring. <laughs> Just a comment earlier on Dan on uh, new hunters and young hunters. I think it's important to shoot to, to try to kill deer. Mm -hmm. There's a big difference between shooting a 3D target that's not just standing out there in front of you and when your adrenaline's going and you're trying to shoot a bow and there's tree limbs in front of you and it didn't stop exactly if you get yeah. a chance to kill a deer when you're young kill a deer because yeah. there's nothing more important than experience killing a deer right. yeah. you got to know when to draw you got to know when to drop that string yeah there's nothing that replaces killing deer you got to kill yeah. something to learn how to kill them absolutely correct 
Yeah. No, that's a good point. I like killed killed a lot of deer when I was little, and that's probably a big reason why I'm a successful hunter now. Is you know, especially if you have if you have a little guy that wants to shoot one and you're not letting him, it's like ah, you know, that's that's no fun for him. I had a friend who uh, held out for uh, he was only going to shoot Boone and Crockett or bigger, and he didn't shoot a deer for eleven years. And when he finally got that Boone and Crockett in front of him, he blew it because he he wasn't ready for it. He, he wasn't. He had to think about when to shoot, when to pull the bow back and stuff. It wasn't a mechanical action. When a deer comes in front of me and I shoot it, generally I'm looking at that deer and all of a sudden there's an arrow flying and I don't even know what the hell happened because I'm not even thinking. It's a mechanical action that happens when it's supposed to because I've done it so many times. If you're thinking about that shot and you're thinking about, you know, concentrating on when you should shoot and stuff, you're probably going to blow it. It's really the when it becomes natural for you is when it becomes best and easiest. We shot a lot of targets when, when I was younger or whatever, and there was guys a lot better at shooting targets than I was. A lot better at shooting targets. But we they go out in the woods and I, they're like, I, I, I don't know how I missed it. I don't know how I missed it. And I'm like, yeah. I don't either. But if he was only ten yards, you should have missed him. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's definitely different. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yep. 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 Yeah. Yep. Um, well, we've been going for about an hour and a half now. I think my son, he's going to have it bad. I, I have a little eight pointer hanging in his room. Mm -hmm. It's a little, just a European mount. And uh, my wife shot one, a little, little bitty buck she has, and it's, they're laying in there together with him uh, on his, on his uh, wall. I took mine down the other day. I took a picture of all of my deer or whatever. I forgot to put it, hang it back up right away. And he just came screaming bloody murder into my office. And I, I'm like, what's wrong? But he goes, my deer's gone. Just yelling at me. And I'm like, oh, just right here. We'll go hang it back up. Like, I didn't think in a, in a million years he even, like, he's been in there since he was came home from the hospital. And, and it was funny. I was like, I mean, it wasn't funny. I felt bad, but. I was like, just forgot to put it back, bud. But he noticed it right off the bat. Yeah, I felt bad too. I was like, oh, I wouldn't have. I'm sorry, buddy. Um, I think that's good. We've had we've answered a lot of questions. I don't see any other ones that uh, um, we really need to get to. If you guys didn't get your questions answered, just hop on next week. We'll answer them then. Uh, everybody, thanks for hopping. Uh, yeah. Uh, Buckshots Bar and Grill and and uh, in Michigan here. If you guys are ever in the area, it's a it's a nice place. Especially, it looks like they're a little bit hunter friendly in here. Uh, we're in, then they got a private room for events and whatnot, um, right? So um, check them out, guys. Thanks. Hit the subscribe button before you leave, uh, and we'll see you all next week on. Don't forget the, the thing, channel. Lou. Oh yeah, Lou. Thanks, man. You're always so good to us. This, this whole thing was Lou's yeah. fault. So if you're annoyed by this whole thing and you had yep. to sit through Get this, on. it was Lou. Yeah. Yeah. So get, get on the Stealth Outdoors and get you some Stealth Strips. Appreciate everybody coming. Yep. This is a fun event. And uh, really like that you guys came out here just to see me. It's really cool. Appreciate it. Yep. Thanks for everybody on YouTube for hopping on, too. There was well over 200 people on all night. So, all right. See you guys later.